Good morning, everybody. I uh, we're here, uh, part four, the conclusion, the finale of our journey through the Old Testament book of Jonah. I want to recap really quickly. Um, we began by kind of getting an introduction of Jonah and of this character, Jonah. And uh, I, I, I feel guilty in a way, but um, I got to tell you, Jonah was a pretty pathetic prophet. I, I'm not judging. Uh, I'm sure he and I can have convo uh, in heaven at, at a later date, but um, don't, don't be a Jonah it shouldn't maybe be the name of, of this series. Um, Jonah gets a word from God to go preach, and he's a prophet. That's what he's supposed to do. But he flees from the Lord. And in our first session, we found him running the complete opposite direction of where God asked him to go. But we don't necessarily get an answer to the why God, um, not, not why God asked him to go, but we don't get an answer to why he fled until, well, today, all right? And then... Jonah ends up getting flung off of this boat because there is a great storm. And I want to note that God appointed or, or scheduled that storm. And then God appointed a great fish to swallow him up. And when he prays, he prays what we found to have been a very unrepentant prayer, a very insincere prayer. Now, he does end up doing the right thing, and we, we give him credit for that. But there's no apology, no recognition of who God is and, 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 and Jonah's sin in, in that prayer of repentance. It was an unrepentant prayer. And then Jonah goes on to the great city of Nineveh, <clears throat> and it, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and when Jonah heard the word the second time, he obeyed very reluctantly, and he goes and he preaches this uh, five-word sermon, all right? Forty days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Now, I know that's more than five words in English, but it was five words in Hebrew. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. And what happened was all of the people humbled themselves, and they repented. The king and all of the noblemen humbled themselves, and they repented. They had all of the animals put on sackcloth and be humbled, and they did not eat, nor did they drink. And uh, the king said, even if God doesn't honor this, we're, we're going to uh, do this in the hopes that he will have mercy on us. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring destruction upon them. Now, normally when a prophet prophesies something uh, for God, it, it comes true. But Jonah's prophecy was that Nineveh would be destroyed, all right? And it's interesting that the Hebrew word was overturned because in essence, that's exactly what did happen. Before the 40 days was up, the people of Nineveh who were evil, who were unrepentant, who were arrogant and prideful, actually became repentant and humble. And so they did change or turn over a new leaf, perhaps. And now we come to the fourth chapter. And there's a couple of questions here that are asked to Jonah or of Jonah that we have to ask of ourselves. They're very, hold the mirror up in front of your face and take a good hard look at how you're living, how you're thinking, and where your heart is as a child of God, as a servant of 
God. So here's what we got. I'm going to read from chapter 4. But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. <clears throat> you see what's going on here? God has completely shown mercy, compassion, kindness upon an entire city of people. When you're called to preach, you're, you're, you're hoping that repentance will come. But Jonah was called to preach, and we find out that he did not want to preach because everything he knew about God was true. Wait, wait. You know that God is, is, is true to who he is? And that bothers you? Oh, it did bother him. Why? Because he did not want that for Nineveh. He did not want God's compassion showered upon his enemies. He did not want God's grace poured out on other people. Selfish. Self-righteous. And now... He finds himself in a place where we often find ourselves. You see, <clears throat> as human beings in general, one of the things that it's hard for us to do is it's hard for us to genuinely be joyful for the success of others, to genuinely be joyful for the hope that others have, to genuinely be joyful when our enemies succeed. We have a hard time even sharing the gospel with people that we don't think deserve it. That's rough. That needs some serious heart check. How do I feel about sharing the love, compassion, and mercy of Christ to the homeless, to the other races, to other sexes, to other nations, to people who believe things that are opposite what I believe. How do I feel when God shows his mercy or his compassion on them? That's what Jonah was faced with here. And he says, I'll tell you exactly why I ran. I ran because I knew you were going to forgive him. I didn't want to watch. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to be a part of it. Man. And so he says, now take my life, for it's better for me to die than live. And the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? There's no answer there from Jonah at this point in time. Have you any right to be angry? Do you have something that allows you or something that makes it okay for you to be angry because I gave something? All right. What, what gives you the right to, to have any anger? You, you didn't pour out any mercy. It was my mercy. You didn't pour out any justice or any righteousness. It was my justice and, and righteousness, my, my grace. Why, why are you angry? What, what did it cost you? 
Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. Little illustration coming here. There he made himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Note, Jonah didn't cause the vine to grow. Jonah didn't give the vine or pay for the vine. God gave the vine. Jonah enjoyed the benefits of the vine, and he was very happy about it. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, It would be better for me to die than to live. <clears throat> and then God said again, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Max Lucado writes uh, in one of his books, um, it's called He Still Moves Stones. He has a chapter called The Dungeon of the Bitter. The Dungeon of the Bitter. And he spends several pages talking about the bitterness that resides in, in the heart of man and, and, and how that bitterness comes from the success of others that we were talking about earlier, from the mercy shown to others, from the grace lavished on others. And he uses the, the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son who takes his father's money and, and runs away and then um, finally repents and comes back home. And even though he doesn't deserve to be loved, the father accepts him and, and loves him and lavishes gifts on him and, and gives him the, the fatted calf and a new ring and a, and a new robe and a celebration. And the older brother shows up and the older brother's ticked off. He, he doesn't like that his brother's getting all of these things. And he says, Dad, what, what are you doing? And he, he pouted, and he was bitter, and he was angry, and he, he missed the celebration, and he, he missed the point. It was the Father's love that was shown out. It was the Father's gifts that were given. And if the Son wanted anything, all he had to do was enjoy all that the Father had because once his brother took his half, everything else belonged to the older brother. And the father says it. He says, well, all that I have is yours. If you don't want the calf, you, you kill it. If you don't want the party, you throw it. But you're so upset. You're so bitter. You're so self-righteous and self-centered that, that you're, you're missing this. Your son was dead. And he's alive. He was lost, but he's found. Why, why are you angry? What right do you have to be angry? And as God lavishes his love on people, what right do we have to say they deserve it and they do not? And certainly what right do we have to pout, to be angry, to go on Instagram, to go on Facebook and point fingers and say, well, they don't deserve it or they're not as good as me or they're not. I have to make a confession. That stuff, that stuff makes me angry. It makes it makes me bitter sometimes, and I have to I have to deal with that. I have to repent of that bitterness. I have to be careful not to use um, any skills I may have in communication to begin to write 
on social media or to begin to speak into a camera so that it goes out and stake my claim and say my piece so that others will know how dignified I would have been and how negatively that person responded or how sinfully that person acted. It is not mine to, to, to judge, to, to condemn, to call righteous or, or unrighteous. One of my favorite phrases is, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a pitiful, pathetic prophet. Don't be so caught up in all of the things that God gives you that you think that they're because of you. He does love you. He does think you're the best, but they're his things. It's his gifts. It's his money. It's his health. Those are his children. It's his roof. It's his farm. It's his car. It's his grace. It's his mercy. Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? Have you any right to be angry that I wanted to save the city of Nineveh? Folks, don't live in the dungeon of the bitter. Don't live in the self-righteous prison of the judgmental. At least Jonah answered correctly, I do. I am angry enough to die. Wow. I want you to see how this all played out. It played out orchestrated by God. He, he knew what kind of person Jonah was, and he loved him. He knew what decision Jonah was going to make, and he sent him anyway. He knew what sermon was going to be preached, and he made use of that. But I want you to see through all of it, and in this time we're all going through, I want you to see that something happens. In the first week, I talked about a word, and, and I never got back to it because sometimes that's how my mind works, and I say I'm going to say something, and then I forget to say it. Well, when Jonah first gets in the boat, it says that God caused or God appointed. The Hebrew word means set an appointment, all right, for the storm to come, all right? So when the storm came and, and ravished the boat, God had appointed that squall or that storm to happen. When the fish came, God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah up, all right? He calculated it. He planned it in the calendar, all right? God appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh, all right? And then on a couple of different occasions in here, all right, it says God appointed the vine and caused it to grow so that it would cover Jonah and make him comfortable. And then it says um, at dawn the next day, God provided, it's the same, the same idea, the same word, God appointed a worm to chew it up and then the sun rose, God provided an east wind. He appointed the wind to blow in the right direction to cause the heat to come off of the desert and combine with the blazing sun and cause Jonah to be miserable. He appointed the storm. He appointed the fish. He appointed the journey. He appointed the, the vine. He appointed the worm. He appointed the wind. God was never 
out of control and he's not out of control now. And I will keep on saying it. Not just for as long as this goes on, because guess what? There's going to be different storms. Right now we're dealing with a, a microbe problem, a, a germ problem, a virus problem. But guess what? Lots more things that are going to hurt us, that are going to bring us down, are going to go viral. There's going to be money struggles again. There's going to be work struggles again. There's going to be mountaintops. Jobs are going to come back. Restaurants are going to reopen. Churches are going to worship and celebrate. But we have to be of this mindset. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. The good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've got to be Job's in these trials. Don't be Jonah's. Be Job's. I mean, I got to tell you, I, I felt like Here's a personal testimony, and, I, and I'm not looking for anything. I'm looking to actually say I, I learned something and was blessed by something in my own kitchen. We, um, we all know that the, the, the stimulus package is, is coming, and if you're like everyone else, you're trying to figure out how many kids and how many people and how to go about it and how to get your taxes done and what it's based on and how much you're going to get and this and that and the other. And we need to be thankful for it. And we need to uh, thank God for it. And we need to honor him with it and, and all of these things. And, and you know, my family, we, we were prepared. We're not doomsday preppers or anything like that. There's no underground a room in our backyard or anything like that, but we try to make sure that there's, you know, savings to, to live off of if something happens and that we're careful with our paychecks when she's switching her job or there's no income that week. And we, we felt like we were prepared and, and we were. Um, we were calmly sailing, you know, right, right through the storm. And then we thought, hey, you know, this stimulus package, that's going to help. We'll bolster our savings in case this goes on and we'll use it to pay off some of the uh, medical things that have come our way. And uh, right about the same time that that package was announced, we um, go upstairs and, and, and flip the unit on and uh, the AC in our, in our upstairs is out. And... Um, so the gentleman comes to our home, and uh, yeah, it's it's shot, and uh, you know it's going to be several thousand dollars to replace. I knew it was going to need to be replaced. I just didn't know now. I didn't know it was going to basically take our whole economic stimulus to put in a new AC. And I walked in, and I was I was okay. I said, "Hey, here's what it is. We can do this and get halfway, or we can do this and get all the way." and and Jamie looked back at me and she said, well, the good Lord gives and the good Lord takes away. And she had a big smile on her face. I'm thankful for that smile. I'm thankful that she was a good witness that day in our kitchen. I'm thankful that she had that outlook and that mindset. I'm thankful that we have that mindset together. It is not fun. It is not cool but it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But we've got to take the reins on things we can control. And that's why God asked the question that I told you at the beginning we were going to have to listen to. So hear them again. Here's what God says. Have you any right to be angry? Why, why are you acting the way that you're acting? Why are, why are you responding the way that you're responding? Church, I think we have to learn that. 
as our kids begin to grind on us over the next few weeks, why are we responding the way that we're responding? As we're spending so much more time on the internet and on social media and seeing posts from everybody and their mother that we agree and disagree with, why are we reacting and responding the way that we're responding? Why do we think it's our job to respond at all? Why are we forwarding? Why are we sharing? Why don't we think about this? Are we sharing and forwarding things that encourage, things that uplift, things that draw people nearer to God? Do we spend more time arguing with our critics or praying for our enemies? Would we be excited if everybody who's on the opposite side of our political spectrum were saved by the grace of God, covered in the mercy of God, received the gifts and blessings from God? Would we be excited about that or would that make us angry? But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And here it is. At the end of this prophetic book, it is not Jonah who's preaching, but it's God who's asking. But the Lord said in verse 10, you have been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it, and you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and they have many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Should I not be concerned about that great city? Here's the thing we have to be most careful about. Making our impressions God's impressions. Did you hear me? You can't change what he thinks. But you can make an impact, have an influence on how the world thinks he thinks. And when we act bitter, when we act angry, when we respond emotionally and we call ourselves children of God or prophets of God, and you may say, well, I'm not a prophet of God, and you may not be by title, but if you're one of His, if you're saved by His grace and mercy, you are called to share the gospel and the love of Christ with everyone to be His hands and feet. And we have to ask ourselves this question, should we not be concerned about the black and the white and the red and the green, about the Democrats and the Republicans, the liberals and the conservatives, the sick and the well, the children and the elderly, should we not be concerned and have the passion and the compassion of Christ instead of forcing our thoughts, our mindsets, our ideals on him? Because like I say, you're not going to change him. But boy, do we give an impression of God to the people around us. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a pathetic prophet. But in the same breath, show him grace. Show him mercy. It's hard. It was a nightmare hard being an Old Testament prophet. Guess what? It's hard to be a New Testament prophet. It's hard to be a 20th century Christian. 
Hard to be a 21st century Christian. Hard to be a social media Christian. We're all navigating new courses. We're all dealing with our emotions. We're all working to overcome whatever causes us to be bitter. Let's do each other a favor. Let's hold hands. Let's look to our right and say, we're not finished yet. Let's look to our left and say, we're not finished yet. Let's agree that we're all works in progress. That there is a God and we aren't Him. But we need Him. What's the song? I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. My one defense, your righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Just live in that humble place. A sackcloth. Humble repentance. A sinner who needs a savior. And then smile and lift your hands because there's a savior who loves a sinner turned saint by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've all been given grace and mercy by a gracious and merciful God. Swim in that. Be joyful in that. Be lavished by that. I want to pray, and then we want to leave you with something else. God, right now, <clears throat> I pray that we just be heart seekers, that we seek out the places in our heart where um, our emotions are running wild, where our patience is running thin, where our bitterness or anger towards someone else resides, and that we allow your Holy Spirit to take that over. We thank you for the story of Jonah. We thank you for the pitiful prophet. Because if we're honest, that pitiful prophet is us. We run from you. We say prayers to you that aren't heartfelt at times. We obey when it's convenient. We don't obey when it's not. And you still use us to change cities. But you also take time to teach us that there's so much more that the finances we have, the homes we have, the families we have, the churches we have, they're not ours, they're yours. And we shouldn't idolize those things, but we should keep our eyes on you. So God, help us do that today, this week, through this time. Let us be exemplary, exemplary followers of you, praising you morning, noon, and night for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.